Uh, I'm going to do something real different that we don't usually do. Uh, I'm gonna, a couple of you brothers come up and pray. I've got this thing going on with my shoulder, and man, it's killing me. So uh, we believe in the power of prayer. So uh, a couple of you guys come up and pray for my shoulder real quick. Because then I can't chop with that hand. I'll have to chop with this hand. Amen. Amen. And and be praying because I, I had an MRI schedule. They've already done an x-ray. They know there's something going on. I've had rotator cuff surgery on that already, but I think there's something else, again, some kind of a tear. They they pretty much indicated that, but until they do the MRI, they, they don't know for sure. It was scheduled for tomorrow, and then I get a call last Friday late afternoon. Oh, uh, Mr. Wright, we're going to have to reschedule. Our MRI machine blew up. Have to go a week from Monday, and I'm like, Anyway, so long and short, they're going to try and get me in up at Olathe, but I just need to get some relief from this, so thank you so much uh, for praying. Uh, yes, welcome. Uh, we are concluding a series uh, that we began uh, three weeks ago that kind of ties in with our mission statement. And our mission statement is uh, helping people near and far from God take their next step towards new life in Him. Uh, and we believe that this is a process, a three-step process, uh, we've looked at the first two steps over the last two weeks, connect, we looked at two weeks ago, grow, which we looked at last week, and the final step of this process is wrapped up in this word, go, go. And we're going to look at uh, three facets of this final step, go. So let's jump right in here. Again, if you uh, get on uh, web, the website, uh, familychurch.xyz, you can see these notes on there, the outline. Uh, John 1, 29 to 34. Let's jump right in here. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Baptist speaking. And said, behold, or, or literally look. What he, when he said, behold, the lamb. You know, we, we were familiar with that phrase, behold. The, what he was saying was, look, over here. He was trying to draw their attention, right? The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he. Now, he's speaking of Jesus. And remember, John's talking to those who had been following him which Matthew tells us in Matthew 3, 4, and 5 that this was a pretty large contingent, a pretty large crowd. It says, Then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to see John the Baptist preach, and they were being baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins, right? So this is the crowd that John's speaking to when he says, Behold, look, here's the guy I've been talking about, because he had been preaching about the coming Messiah. So he says, This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. In other words, he's saying, this is the guy I've been talking about and preaching about. All right? And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I didn't know he was the one, but God sent me to baptize with water. He told, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of Jesus there. I saw this happen to Jesus so I testified that he is the chosen one of God. So, in other words, there is no doubt, based on John the Baptist's comments here, there's no doubt in his mind who this was. He knew this is Jesus. This is the one. This is what I've been talking about. He's very clear about that. In fact, he, see, he seems to go out of his way 
to make that point numerous times in these verses, saying, in essence, I'm telling you guys, this is him. This is the Son of God, right? This is the Messiah, the one the prophets have spoke about. This is the one we've all been waiting for. So, question. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the chosen one, the Son of God? Okay, most of you do. All right. Question. If he's the one, if you really believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and you saw him come walking by, what would you do? Follow him. Wouldn't you follow him? I mean, if you knew it was him, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Oh, you know. This is the one John said, I'm not even worthy to untie a sandal. This is the one. You really believe that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. If you had been in that crowd listening to John preach about the coming one, about the one who was greater than him, the one that he wasn't fit to untie his sandals, the one he, he wasn't even worthy to reach down and untie his sandals or anything like that. If you had been in the crowd following John, hearing him preach about the coming Messiah, and then one day John's preaching and he says, oh, there he is, right? Wouldn't you follow him? I think most of us would, right? Let's continue reading. Verses 35 to 39, John 1, 35 to 39. The next day again, huge word, again. Look at that word again. It's a huge word. In other words, this is the second time John says this. Note that, all right? This is the second time John's going to do what he's about to do. John was standing with two of his disciples, John the Baptist, all right, two of the people that had been following him, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, again, for the second time, behold the Lamb of God. Look at this. For the second time in as many days, John points to Jesus and basically says, here he is. Here he is. The Lamb of God who takes the word. Do you see that? Twice on consecutive days, John has to point to Jesus and says, here's Jesus. Right? Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which would have been about 4 p.m. So let's go through the chronology here. I want to kind of go through the chronology here so we can kind of walk through this to get a picture of what happened. Uh, the day before Jesus comes walking by, John was preaching, John the Baptist was preaching. He points to Jesus and says, here's the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? He's right there, all right? Then late the next day, 4 o'clock the next afternoon, right? Jesus comes walking by again, and again, John the Baptist says, here he is again, folks. Behold, the Lamb of God, he's right here. Now, we don't know for sure because we weren't there. But I sort of get the idea that the second day that John said this, he might have said it this way. Um, guys, are you guys dense or what? I told you yesterday this is him. What, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for here? He's right over here. Right? Are you gonna go, are you gonna follow him or not? In fact, I'm not so sure that Jesus, that's why Jesus walked by the second day. Just my personal opinion. I can't prove it. But I thought, you know, Jesus, the first day he walks by and says, man, those guys are dense. So I begin the next day. So he comes by again the next day. And sure enough, John says the same thing and they begin fine. So again, the next day Jesus walks by. John points at him. There he is again, the Lamb of God. Right? 
And, and I can kind of picture, you know, Andrew and the other, the unnamed disciple. We'll talk about that in a minute. I can picture Andrew and the unnamed disciple. You know, again, John the Baptist says, there he is. And Andrew and, and John says, I said, there he is. And so they start following him, right? Let's read on, verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said, we found the Messiah. So Andrew then goes and tells his brother, Simon, who Jesus was going to change his name to Peter, right? And said, hey, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. And then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter, at, at Simon at that point, and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, I need to explain something about this particular event where Jesus calls these three disciples because Matthew also records an account of Jesus calling Andrew and Peter and it almost sounds as if Andrew, as if Matthew's account contradicts John's account. So I want to go back and walk you through this event that took place where these disciples began following Jesus. Because I want you to know there's no errors in the Bible, okay? So I want, I want to show you here what happened. In John's account, Andrew and another disciple who's not named, again, we'll talk about that in a second, is standing by John the Baptist. One day, Jesus walks by. John the Baptist says, that's him. Now go follow him. But Andrew and the other disciple apparently don't begin following him, right, at that point. Around 4 o'clock the next day, the two disciples are with John again. Jesus comes walking by. John the Baptist says, here's the one I've been talking about. Behold the Lamb of God. At this time, they do, right? They do begin following Jesus. But at some point, Andrew runs home, to, or runs wherever, and finds his brother Simon. Says, we found the Messiah. You need to come and see. Simon goes with Andrew, his brother, meets Jesus. Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, Okay. And they apparently begin, huge word, they apparently begin following Jesus. Now let's read Matthew's account of Jesus calling these disciples. Because if you're not careful, this almost looks like it contradicts John. Matthew 4, 18-22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee one day, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, that phrase is very important, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So question, which story is true? They're both true. They're both true. They just happened at different times. John's account of this happened before Matthew's account. We know that because, on, in fact, John is the gospel that actually kind of helps, helps us put a chronology of Jesus' life together. There are a lot of things in John that the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that, which are called the Synoptic Gospels, that aren't found in those. Uh, the turning water into wine, uh, Nicodemus coming to him, uh, the woman at the well, raising Lazarus from the dead. Those are all things that are only in the Gospel of John. But we know from, and, and theologians, historians will tell you this, John is the Gospel that kind of helps piece together, using Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the chronology of Jesus' life, right? So I say all that to say, no, the, 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 this was a separate time. When in Matthew's account, this was a separate time. So here's what happened. Let's walk through this. Andrew and another disciple start following Jesus. Andrew tells his brother Simon, we found the Messiah, come and see. So now Andrew and another disciple and Simon, whom Jesus changed his name to Peter, begin following him as, as well. But apparently at some point, Simon, Peter, and Andrew leave and go back to working the family's fishing business. Because later when Matthew's account of this, that's what they were doing. They were cleaning their nets. So apparently they started following Jesus at one point, but then left to go back to work. And we don't know why. We're not given the details about that. But that's how you reconcile that, right? That's how you reconcile that. Jesus walks by one day as they're cleaning their nets. 
says, follow me. In other words, it's time to get serious about this. He didn't say it, but, you know, you guys started once. When you guys going to get serious about following me? It's time to get serious about following me. Because if you follow me, I will change the trajectory of your life. You've been fishing for men. You've been fishing for fish. From now on, you're going to start fishing for men. That's what he said. I'm going to make you fishers of men. See, the real important part of this statement Jesus made wasn't the fishers of men. We get caught up on that because it's kind of cute. I mean, it's kind of a play on words, right? They were fishermen. So we get caught up on that fishers of men. And it is an interesting kind of a cute statement. But the real profound statement there is that I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. And I believe that that's the word of the Lord to us this morning, that it's time to get serious about following Him. And I'm going to tell you the biggest indicator of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, listen up. The litmus test of just how committed we are to the Lord and His will for us is our willingness to fulfill the Great Commission to go and tell others about Jesus. That's the litmus. You want to know how committed you are? How committed are you to telling others about Him? That'll tell you real quick. I think it all comes back to this question here, which I believe the Lord would ask of all of us this morning. When are we going to start doing what He's called us to do? Right? For some of you, God's called you to get plugged into one of these growth groups. And look, I don't know what your hesitation would be. I mean, I kind of know the, eh, you know, I don't know anyone real well. I don't want to, you know, sing around, sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya and that kind of stuff. But no, no, it's not that. It's not that. We've already established the, the, the fact that you're good. If you want to grow, if you're interested in growing in your relationship with God, the best environment to do that is a home group, a growth group. That is a fact. The question is, how serious are you about growing? Because if you are, you need to get plugged into one of these groups. Right? And I like what Kyle said. He said, you know, if, if you, you need to go so other people, so you can share your story. The Apostle Paul said one time, comfort one another with the comfort that you've been comforted with. You've been through some difficult times. Someone else to hear that. Because they might be going through something similar. So even if you feel like, you, know, I don't know if I get anything out. No. Someone needs you there. Someone needs you there, right? So that being the case, why wouldn't you just, why wouldn't you want to jump in and join one of those groups, right? And we have made it easy, McSneezy, for you to do that. Familychurch.xyz. You can sign up there, right? There's a link. All right. Point number one, go follow. Point number two, go find. Go find. Let's look at verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, or his, bro- his own brother Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew found Simon, who Jesus later named Peter. Verses 45 and 46. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. Interesting that Philip says the exact same thing that Jesus said earlier. Come and see. Right? So Philip found Nathanael. So Andrew found Simon. Philip found Nathanael. But who found Philip? Who found Philip? Let's look at verse 43. John 1, 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee... He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. But let, let me fill you in on a little secret here. Jesus actually found all of them. Jesus found all of them. All three of them, right? He was the one who came walking by, not once, but twice, on consecutive days, no less. Now, in verses 40 to 41, notice it references two disciples. One of the two, and then shortly after that, when, when telling his brother Simon Peter what had happened, it says, he says, we have found. So, Andrew's telling his brother Simon, we have found. So, it's clear that there was another unnamed disciple with Andrew at this time. Now, we're not told specifically who it was. Most Bible scholars believe it was John. Right? Not John the Baptist, but John who wrote the Gospels, the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Now, why would they think it was John? Well, one reason is because in his writings, John never names himself. It's kind of interesting. Kind of an interesting little style of writing. He never names himself. He always refers to himself as the other disciple. Let me show you how he does this because it's really kind of humorous. When, when you, when you, this has really nothing to do with the sermon, but I, it's kind of funny, so I'm going to show it. All right? So I want to show you what John does here. In John 20, verses 1 to 8, follow along here. This is on Easter morning, okay? They come to the grave, come to the empty tomb. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, now keep in mind, keep in mind, this is John writing about himself, okay? Right? The one whom Jesus loved and said to him, they have taken... Did you catch that? The other disciple, you know, the one that he loved, oh, by the way, just in case you're wondering, right? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, again, John speaking of himself, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Just to let you know, I'm, I'm faster than Peter, just, right? Right? And reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. His mama didn't raise no dummy. Right? And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face and the face cloth which had been on um, on Jesus' head not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, by the way, did I say I outran Peter? Right. Also went and he saw and he believed. I just thought that was kind of funny, you know, how, how Peter, it's kind of like uh, in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says that, it says this, now Moses was a very humble man. You know who wrote that? Moses, right? Anyway, yeah. I won't charge any extra for that. So, chances chances are pretty good that John, the point being, John was probably the other disciple that day standing there with Andrew when Jesus walked by. What I want you to make note of is the progression. Andrew found Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. Another thing I believe that God would say to us this morning is we need to go and find someone who needs to hear about Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus... Finding someone else is a natural byproduct of following Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Another way to look at this would be to say, if we're not fishing, we're not following. Is that fair? I think that's a fair statement. If we're not fishing, we're not following. Right? 
Notice he doesn't say, follow me, work real hard, you'll become a fisher of men, people. No, no, no. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. All right? So first we go follow. Then we go find. And the simplest way to first follow, then find others, is to use the same statement that Peter, Philip, and Andrew used. Come and see. That's what he said. Come and see. What are you talking about? No, just, just come and see. Just come with me. Right? Just come with me. I want to pause here and have everyone uh, just take a look around the sanctuary. Okay? I want you to notice the empty seats. Okay? Take a look around. Notice the empty seats. From now on, every time you walk into the sanctuary and see an empty chair, I want you to see an empty soul. Okay? I want you to see an empty soul. Because, dear ones, there's an empty soul where you work. There's an empty soul working next to you, where your place of work. There's an empty soul in your family, maybe extended family. There's an empty soul on your block somewhere. There's an empty soul in the checkout line at Dollar General. One of the one of the gals who uh, works behind the counter at Casey's used to ride my bus years ago. In fact, uh, I used to I used to give her a piece of gum every day when she got off my bus. It was towards the end of my route, so you know it's not like everyone knew I was playing favorites or anything. But uh, she was, you know she was just a great little girl. I mean, uh, quiet. And uh, I just, I liked her, you know. So every, I, just, I don't know how it started, but one day I, I just, when she got off, I said, here, gave her a piece of gum. And I did that for however many more years that she rode my bus until she started driving. Um, I lost track of her over the years. I hadn't seen her around. Her mom used to work at, back when the bank out there was GMB. And, uh, so occasionally I would talk to her mom and, and ask about her, her daughter. And uh, her mom didn't go into any details, but uh, just from things she said, I, I, I could tell that this young lady kind of lost her way, um, got older, started making some unwise choices and decisions. Um, anyway, I said, well, I'll tell her that I'm praying for her. Of course, her mom knew that I was a, a minister. Um, but... Um, I said, well, tell her when you see her that I said hi. And she always appreciated me asking about her. Anyway, fast forward a few years. Uh, this, this young lady's apparently moved back to town, but she, she works out at Casey's. And uh, this past week I was prompted to do something. I was in Casey's getting some coffee, and so I went and bought some gum. Uh, no, not a brownie. That was that was the next day. And and I when I went to... to Pay for it. I, I opened it up and I and I gave her a piece of gum. I said, "You remember when I used to do that?" Yeah. And I invited her to church. She's not here, but be praying. Be praying that God would move on her heart. But that's an empty soul. Someone that needs the Lord. Um, the point being, you're, you're surrounded by. Empty all the time. You have empty souls in your family, empty souls at your friends, 
people that you already have a relationship, why not invite them to church? What's the worst thing that could happen? Now, seriously, we've talked about this before. What's the worst thing that can happen when you invite someone to church? Really, that's, that is a very fair... What is the absolute worst thing that can happen when you invite someone to church? They say no. Ooh. That's scary, isn't it? Seriously, I'm kind of poking fun, but come on. When you look at what's at stake here, look, I get the rejection part, but you need to understand, these people are headed for an eternity apart from Jesus. They're empty. You have the answer. Just don't come and see. Come and see. Every Sunday when you come to church and see an empty seat, I want you to think of an empty soul. Someone who needs to know that there's a God who loves them, has a plan and purpose for their life. Something so much greater than they're currently experiencing if they would just turn to Him. Our job is go follow, then go find, and then thirdly, go bring. Go bring. 40 and 42. John 1, 40 to 42. One of the two, here's a reference to an unnamed disciple we've already talked about, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Brought him to Jesus. Go follow, go find, and then thirdly, go bring. See, Andrew knew if he could just get his brother to come and see. If he could just get him in Jesus' presence that Peter would believe. And Peter did go with Andrew to see Jesus. And when he did, it was like, wow, you were right. This is the Son of God. See, dear ones, if we'll just go and bring people to Jesus, get them in the worship service, do our part in making them feel welcome, right? making them feel loved, if we can just get them here in an environment of unconditional love and worship, getting them into the presence of Jesus, I, I guarantee you Jesus will take care of the rest. What's that old Keith Green song? You keep doing your best, pray that it's blessed, and let Jesus take care of the rest. Right? I believe if we can get them here, Jesus will take care of the rest. And you get them in an environment of worship, I'll tell you what, that can be a powerful experience because worship's one of the most effective evangelistic tools there is. And I'll tell you why. Even people that don't believe there's a God, when, they, when you get them in a worship service where people are lifting up Jesus, and I mean engaged with Jesus, there's something. We were hardwired to worship. All of us were hard. Everyone worships someone or something. They do. They just don't realize they were hardwired to worship God, their Creator. If we can get them here, get in an environment, I, I guarantee you the Spirit of God will move on. I remember the first time I sat in on a worship service at the mustard seat over in Lawrence. I wasn't where I was supposed to be with God. I had walked away from God. I remember walking in there and I thought, man, this is about the weirdest stuff I have ever seen in my life. Get a bunch of hippies playing guitar. And they didn't even have, and they didn't even have like an order of service. There was a bunch of people sitting around a room in these folding chairs. It was a, it was a high school gymnasium. And, you know, like five or six of them had guitars. Uh, Brad, mate, you guys know Brad, my friend. He, he played harmonica. Uh, and then there was someone, uh, played a tambourine. I mean, they would just, we would sing a song and then it would be quiet. And some people would pull out their Bible and just read a couple of verses. And then all of a sudden someone was starting on another song and everyone would start singing. And it was about the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. But you know, I, I was like, strangely attracted to it. It's like, you know, I don't... <laughs> I didn't want to see it, but I did. If we can get people to come here and experience true worship of God, Jesus will take care of the rest. 
Go take care of the rest. Right. So we know Andrew found Simon Peter. We read that. We know Philip found Nathaniel. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel, said that we have found him. But who found Philip? We said that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. Andrew finds Peter. Philip finds Nathaniel. But Jesus found Philip. But again, little secret here, Jesus found all of them. Remember, Jesus is the one who walked by the John, John the Baptist that day. Not once, but twice. Point being, none of us found God. God found us. God found us. He found you. I know that because Paul tells us none of us are even looking for God. Wait, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait, there was a time I was looking for God. If there was a time you were looking for God, I guarantee you this, He was looking for you first. Right? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, there are none who look for God. And it's almost as if he anticipates pushback on that. And he see, and then he says, no, not one. He does. He says, there are none who look for God. No, not one. Because he knows we're going to argue against that. And I looked that word none up in the Greek. You know what it means, Mike? None. none. It means none. And think about this. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they go looking for God or did God go looking for them? God went looking for them. Right? Sin and shame ensure that we won't go looking for God. And when God went looking for them and found them, remember his question, where are you? He didn't ask that because he didn't know. He asked that because they didn't know. Luke chapter 15 is the chapter with the three parables about the lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. But think about this. In each instance, the lost item was found, but who found them? Who found them? The shepherd found the lost sheep. Left the 99, went and found. The woman found the lost coin, even though, even though the, the coin wasn't looking for her, right? The father found the lost son. No, no, the son came back. But it says, you read it, read over it. It says the father was looking for him. We don't find God. God finds us. And I want to finish with this one verse parable. There's only two one verse parables in the Bible. Here's one. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, the traditional understanding of the parable really doesn't do it justice. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it's probably not the right interpretation. Let me explain. Let's unpack this one real quick. First of all, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who stumbles upon a treasure in a field. So in order to not give away what he's stumbled upon, he doesn't want anyone else to find it. So he goes and sells all his possessions takes the money and goes and buys the field. After buying the field, he digs up the treasure and takes and hides it. Now, how many of you think that he went to purchase the field, he told the owner, I'm buying this because there's treasure there? No, right? So he goes, sells all he has, purchases the field. But here, here, here's the traditional understanding. The traditional understanding is the treasure is the kingdom of God. We're the ones who find it. We go and sell all we have to go and buy the land to get the kingdom. Now let me give you three reasons why that's not right. Number one, there's no way we could ever stumble upon the kingdom of God. That ain't going to happen, right? We already looked at a couple of verses that said we don't look for God. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay? Second, you can't hide it. You can't hide the kingdom of God. It's much bigger than that. Now you can hide the light within you, but you can't hide the kingdom of God. And the third reason that you can't, the third reason is you can't buy the kingdom of God. No one can. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, none of those guys. No one can afford the kingdom of God. Not even David Glass after pocketing that billion for selling the royals. And besides, it's free. It's free. Okay? 
Jesus, here's the correct interpretation of that one verse parable. The field is the world. The man is Jesus. And guess who the treasure is? You. That's the correct interpretation of that parable teaching. When you finally wrap your minds around that truth that God found us, it kind of helps this whole thing of go, it kind of brings it into focus, doesn't it? You didn't find Him, He found you. And some of you need to have a, a come to Jesus meeting and get this whole thing about grace and works settled. Because if you think you contributed it all to your salvation, no, 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 you don't understand it. You can contribute if you wanted to. Right? He didn't, you didn't find him, he found you, and you're the treasure. And to determine how much something's worth? I'll tell you how much something's worth. We're sick. Ask Sarah in this real estate market right now. Something's worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it, right? Don't tell me how much your house is worth. Let me see the contract, and then I'll tell you how much your house is worth, right? What were we worth? What was God willing to pay for us? That's what we were worth. That's what we were worth. But you know what the really amazing thing about that transaction is? The fact that Jesus was willing to do this. Listen, Jesus was willing to do this with no guarantees that we would respond to his act of love and sacrifice. That's why I struggle with people who tell me that, I don't know if I can take a chance on following Jesus. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Look at what he's done for you. And you don't know if you can take a chance. He's the one that took the chance. He already put himself out there, people. That's what Paul meant. I mean, because I'm telling you, come to him and you'll be amazed at what he can do for your life in and through your life. 2 Corinthians 2 9, we'll finish with this. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus purchased the whole field. The question is, who's going to be willing to let Jesus find them? Our part is to go follow Jesus, go find others, and then go bring them to him. Amen? Let's stand. Bow your heads. If there's anyone here and you have never accepted, I see the chops, I see the tomahawk chops. Bow your heads. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. It's easy to do. It's a two-step process. You repent and you believe. And then Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you've never prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to do that right now. And you can just follow along with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I pray, Father, that you would forgive me, that you would help me to begin living my life for you. Give me a desire to read your word and to follow you. And I invite you into my heart right now. And I pray that you would save me. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, then I want you to either take one of those connect cards. Before you leave, there's a connect card. There's a place on there you can say, I prayed that prayer. And or I I want you to tell someone. Because, you know, Jesus said one time, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny me, and it's like, whoa, 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 what's that? I don't know. I didn't make the rules. He just said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you. So I I don't get it. I'm just saying that's how it works. If you pray that prayer, you can tell me. Tell the person next to you. Put it on the card. But we want to follow up. Because if you're serious about getting right with God, 
then there's some things that he would want you to do, and one of those is to get plugged into one of these grow groups. So do, the, do me that favor, would you? If you prayed that prayer, tell someone, or at least put it on the card so we can follow up. All right, Lord, go with us now. I pray, Father, that uh, you would uh, continue to help us as we uh, follow you and uh, seek your kingdom. And thank you so much, Father, for being willing to purchase us. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord.